John Weber preached last week out of John 14. It was a great message. Um, And today we're going to be in John 15. This portion of the Gospel of John is some of the most intimate of teachings and conversations that Jesus has with the disciples who have been following him uh, for this whole time. Uh, Jesus is is quickly approaching the cross uh, by the time we get to this portion of the Gospel of John. Um, he, is, uh, he has gathered the disciples together in an upper room. He's washed their feet. Um, they've uh, taken the Lord's Supper together. Jesus you know, teaches them that. It's the first time they do that together. And then he enters into this time of teaching. Um, Judas Iscariot, by this point in John 15, has already been inhabited by the devil, and he's gone out to betray Jesus. So Jesus is here speaking to the 11 that are left. And this is, I love this portion of scripture because it's such a picture into the heart of Jesus for his disciples um, and for us, you know, for what his hopes are for the future. So we're going to read John 15, and we're going to start in verse 12. If you'd stand to your feet, and we'll begin reading here. Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You can take a seat. Jesus begins in verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I love the way he words this because in that statement is both law and grace. The law is this, love each other. Jesus says, my command to you is this. Love each other. But then grace is the second half of the sentence, as I have loved you. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't perfectly fulfill and do. It's not, you know, if your picture of God is of him sitting up in heaven, wagging his finger, telling us how we ought to live our lives, and he doesn't understand, that's not the picture we have in Jesus. Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the law. And this affects the way that we approach a passage like this. It affects the way I preach it. Because I could stand here and just say, Jesus' command is love one another, love one another, love one another. But my responsibility isn't just to hold out to you the law of God. That is part of my responsibility, is to hold out the law of God. But it's also to hold out to you the gospel of God, the good news of God. And the good news is this, that Jesus is the initiator. See, If all the story of the Bible was that God gave us commands and we were expected to fulfill it, then it would just be a story about our failure from beginning to end. But instead, we see this, that Jesus initiates love, that Jesus loved us first. And all that we do for him 
is a response out of that place, not earning anything from him, but just a response out of that place. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, Jesus says. This is a passage about friendship, and Jesus doesn't just talk about the benefits of friendship. He also talks about the responsibilities of friendship. And we understand this with true friends, don't we? That there's all kinds of benefits, but there's also real responsibilities. See, responsibilities in friendship is what makes the difference between just an acquaintance and a friend, right? See, if someone's just an acquaintance, we might be friendly to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're our friend. But when someone is a friend, it means that we bear responsibility to them. This is why Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command, because there's responsibility that comes with the friendship. But here again, Jesus doesn't just tell us to obey. He initiates the responsibilities in friendship by saying this, that a mark of true friendship is that you lay down your lives for one another. And we understand this, right? That the deepest kinds of friendships, the ones that are most real, most full of love, are the ones where the one friend is willing to even lay down their life for the other friend, is willing to inconvenience themselves for the sake of the other person. And Jesus says, even to death, And this is what Jesus did for us. Aren't you glad? This is what Jesus did for us. He was the kind of friend that laid down his life for us. You've heard me say this tons of times, but it's worth repeating, that if you've ever wondered if God loves you, if you want to know the answer to the question, does God love me, then it's important that you look to the right place for the answer. Listen, you don't look to your own guilt. You don't turn inward and start to look inside. You know, you don't look at your circumstances. You don't look at your emotions. All of those things may lie to you about the love of God, but here's what never will lie. A tree soaked in blood where Jesus hung for us. If you want to know if he loves you, then look at him bleeding for you because he didn't just say it. And for that matter, he didn't just heal some sick people and cast out some demons. In the end, and we'll be remembering this next week during Holy Week, in the end, he suffered for us. The question of whether you are loved or not, about if I am loved or not by God, is answered in this, that Jesus died for us. Now, Jesus' command at the beginning of this passage is that We are to love each other as he has loved us, which means that as he's describing his own love for us in this passage, he's also opening up possibilities for how we interact with each other as friends. It's his friendship with us that begins to define what our friendship looks like with other people. And this whole thing about laying our lives down for each other is part of the picture. But sometimes we're tempted not to treat friendship in exactly that way. I call it fast food friendship. Listen, I don't eat too much fast food, but sometimes I really want fast food, you know? And when I do, I have a number of choices to make, you know? I mean, we might be a little limited here in Aliquippa about fast food choices, but at least have three or four choices, right? And so what's going to decide if I go to Arby's or Wendy's or McDonald's or whatever? This This is what's going to decide that. It's very simple. It's what I want to stuff my face with in the moment. I mean, that's it. If I want a Baconator, I'm going to Wendy's, all right? 
If I want one of those buffalo chicken sliders for only $1 at Arby's, thank you, Jesus, I'm going, I'm going to Arby's, all right? If I want a Big Mac, then I know where to go. McDonald's is my place. But listen, I am not committed to any of these places in friendship. You understand this, right? Burger King, when I pull up to get my rodeo cheeseburger from Burger King, they should not, I'm on the fast food today, <laughs> listen, they should not, Burger King should not misunderstand, my coming through the drive-thru is not a commitment of friendship to them, is it? Look, I'm there for one reason, and one reason only, I'm there for what Burger King can give me in the moment. And you know what? If I don't want anything on their menu, I'm going to the next place. And all too often, this is how friendship is defined in our culture. We turn each other into commodities. We do it in the church, too. We do it in our marriages. It's like, look, I'm with you. I'm at the drive through window until you can't give me what I need in the moment. And then see ya. Well, Jesus here is talking about something different. You see, if if his friendship with us was based on us giving him what he needed in the moment, then we wouldn't have a friend in Jesus. But he laid down his life. He chose to lay down his life for us at great inconvenience to himself. He did it. And this allows us to do it for each other. It's like even in the church, like look, if today you're at a place where you're struggling and you're suffering and, and I can't pull up, to your drive-through and get my emotional needs filled, it's like, you know what? I'm still with you. I'm still your friend because this is how Jesus loved us. Verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Two important words in the scripture. One is the word friend, which shows up there. Jesus says, I call you friends. The other is servant. Some translations uh, will translate this word. It's a Greek word, doulos, will translate it as slave. One reason we struggle to know if it should be servant or slave, really both are correct in English. But one reason we struggle with it is because uh, slavery, while very common in Jesus' day, did have some different characteristics than the horror of the slavery that plagued the American colonies and the American states. And so our tendency is to read the word slave and to think of something in particular. But slavery in Jesus' day was still awful. Um, it still involved the removal of a person's rights and freedom. They were the property of the person that had them, the master that had them. But a big difference was that most slaves would eventually gain their freedom in the day of Jesus. Um, but here's, here's what I want you to see. In Jesus' day, society had very rigid categories for where people belonged. In the pagan Roman mind, for instance, it went like this. The highest level were the gods. You know, these mythical gods that, and stories were told about them over and over again. The highest, story, the highest level were the gods and then the nobility. This was really a small group in the Roman Empire. But they were the movers and shakers. They were the ones who got things done, who made decisions, um, who made the economy turn. So this is the nobility. And then there might have been a very small working class, people who had their own freedom but worked in the economy, but it was really very small. The biggest category in Jesus' day were the slaves. Millions and millions of slaves. 
owned by both Romans and Jews in Jesus' day. And here's something that was a, a feature of that culture in that time, was that both the slaves and the nobility shared the same worldview about the class that people were in. They couldn't imagine anything different. And here's especially what they couldn't imagine. They couldn't imagine that anybody would cross one of those social classes to go into another social class to become friends. It was unthinkable. So a person in the nobility would never become a friend with a slave. Sure, they had a relationship, they might talk, they might even care about each other, but they weren't truly friends. And some of the ancient writers made it very clear that one thing that was completely unthinkable to them was that one of the gods would come down and become friends with a human. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus, pre-existent before the creation, God in human flesh, all of the things we've been talking about in the last few weeks, the unrivaled Christ, the Messiah, God himself is looking at these slaves, looking at this group of people and saying, I have called you friend. See, Jesus is completely ultimate in power, but he uses his power not to reinforce those divisions, but to break them down to break the rules in his love and in his grace and to invite these disciples into friendship with him. Even though he's God, he has every right to only relate to these disciples in terms of master-slave, right? That's God's prerogative. He's God. But he invites them into something different here. And I love this. He invites them into this place of friendship uh, that releases them to their destiny. Um, he's calling them up into a higher place when he calls them friends. As a matter of fact, he says this, that a master does not tell you know, the servant or the slave his business, but I'm telling you what the father has told me. Think about that. A master does communicate to the slave, but he, what does he do? He just tells the slave what to do. Go do that. Go do this. Go get that for me. You know, this is what your work is going to look like for the day. But Jesus is saying, I'm not only giving you commands, I'm opening up part of my heart to you that's deeper than that. And there's so much I could say about this this morning, but I just want to point out one thing that Jesus is telling them, what he's disclosing from his heart to them in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's his hopes for the future. Because this is one thing that friends share with each other, isn't it? They share with each other their hopes for the future. Friends, God is always speaking to us from the future. And he's always letting us know where we're going. And this is what friendship with Jesus means. It means that he has taken his future and our futures, and he has bound them together inseparably. He has bound himself with our well-being in the future. His future now involves us. Isn't that amazing? He's bound himself with us for all eternity. So Jesus is saying, this is what I mean. I'm calling you friends. I'm letting you in. This, if we're supposed to love each other like, like Jesus loved us, this means that the power, the grace that we've received is never given to reinforce divisions between us. It's always given to break those divisions down wherever they exist. Even if the world built up the divisions, it's our love that breaks them down. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father 
will give you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I love the word choose. It's strong in the Greek, too. It's a verb that's connected to the, to the will, you know? It's like, look, even if there's circumstances coming against me, I can choose. Even if feelings are coming against me, I can choose, right? No matter what's happening out here, choosing is something I do in here, even in defiance of what is happening out there. I can choose. Now, we're not used to choosing friends. We're used to making friends. And I want to explain to you the difference. Um, When I went to college, my freshman year, uh, John and I were on the same freshman hall together. And we moved in with all these guys. And, uh, you know, I met John. He was... And and I met John, and then and on on my side of the hall, we were on opposite ends of the hall. On my end of the hall, um, you know, I was getting to know you know some folks I didn't you know I'd never met before. And you know how it is if you've ever been in an environment where you're starting to get to know people for the first time. Kind of the insecurity that comes along with that. Who am I going to be friends with? I'm not going to be friends with. You know all those kinds of things. Well, there was one guy who was near me on the hall, and I have no idea why, but he, like, in the first two days, marked me. I was going to be his friend, all right? And so I remember one day I was, this is like in the first week of college, I was ready to go to the cafeteria, and uh, I, I did just that. I left, and I went, and I got my meal, and when I came back, I could tell that he, he had been offended, And he said, hey, I need to talk to you. He said, I've decided that we're going to be really good friends. (laughs) He said, and I think part of that, he had expectations with it too. He said, as part of that, he said, I think that you need to wait for me to go to the cafeteria. He said, I think you need to walk with me. Now, see, I see your faces. The same thing happened to me. When someone chooses you to be a friend like that, what happens? It's like, you know? Now, why does that happen? Well, it's because of this. Because we are, our assumption, when someone chooses like that, our assumption is that they have an ulterior motive, right? Our assumption is that there's something wrong there. They're trying to get something out of me, or they're trying to use me, even if it's just, I could understand, John, why someone would want to use a friendship with me to feel really cool. I could understand that. So maybe, maybe that was it, you know? But there's... But there's, we know it doesn't feel genuine, you know? Well, listen, that's how it is with people. But with God, it's very different. See, with people, we prefer not to choose friends. We prefer to make friends. And making friends is this process of learning to trust another person. It's really a series of judgments that we're making about other people, right? We're watching them. We're seeing how they talk to us. We're seeing if they follow through on what they say, if they're going to lie to us or not, if they're going to talk the same way to our face as they do behind our back. And is, as time is given to that and we see that a person is trustworthy, well, then we decide, okay, we can make friends with this person. Well, here's why we can't make friends with God. is because if, if our friendship with him was based on a series of judgments that he made about our own behavior, we would never make it into friendship with him. See, he, more than anybody else, knows that we can be really bad friends. We promise things to him. We don't follow through. You know, we say we love him, and the next moment, we act like we don't. One moment, we're blessing him. The next moment, we're complaining and cursing. 
No, he knows more than anybody else that if friendship is based on this series of judgments and choices that we're never going to make it into friendship with him. So this is how God deals with it. I chose you. I chose to be your friend. Now, we tend to distrust that from people, but I'm telling you, you can trust it with God because his intention toward you is always for your benefit. His intention toward you is always good. It might not be that way with people, but it is with him. I'll give you a similar example to my fast food example of this. Um, you know, I don't do too much online shopping, but one thing I like to buy online are books, and I love to buy books. I buy too many books. When I buy a book um, online, I might visit a few websites, but I'm, I'm making my decisions based off of some very simple things. The quality of the book, right? I don't mind used books, but I don't want it to be a complete mess. The quality of the book and the price of the book, and I want to find the best combination of those two things, right? I'm going to press click and buy it, all right? Simple. Once again, I'm not committed to Amazon. I don't have a friendship, you know, with any of these sites. In the moment, it's just about what I need. But that can change with relationship. We have a bookstore here in Aliquippa. They have a relationship with Amazon. It's very codependent, I think. But <laughs> abusive, yeah. Uh, we have a bookstore. And if you know anything about the vision of Equip Books, it was started to not only support itself as a business, but to bless the community and the local economy, right? Now, this analogy is about to break down because, honestly, you won't find cheaper books than you will at Equip, you know, if you walk. But let's just say that Daniel really hiked up the prices, you know, at Equip Books. You know, Daniel, I might still purchase a book there, even though I could find it cheaper other places. I might, I might choose to make my purchase there because I'm making the decision based off of more than just what's best for me. I might see, oh, this is good for the economy. You know, this is good for the bookstore. It's good for my friends, so I'm going to purchase there. Daniel's like, you haven't purchased nearly enough books there, Joel. You know, it's an illustration, all right? It's an illustration. So, so listen, how many of you have done that? Purchased something that you knew you were spending more money on because you believed in the cause that the money was going to, right? And so you made the decision differently. Well, knowing that we've been chosen by God, this is what it creates in us. It opens up a whole new dimension in our friendships, where we are able to choose each other, even choose the people that we wouldn't naturally be friends with. It's like, look, the most, un, you know, the most unbelievable thing in the world or the most um, surprising thing in the world is that I would be a friend of God, but Jesus made it so. He chose me, and this allows me to choose other people. You know, even if I could pick easier friends, it allows me to choose other people. It, it builds in a kind of commitment in our friendships that sometimes I think even in the American church we're missing. You know, we're so used to fast food options and online options that sometimes we think we have those same options when it comes to friendships, you know, when it comes to the people that God has put us with. But it's a powerful thing when we start to look at each other and say, look, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. Hear me? I'm all in. To say, I choose you. And no matter where you are today, I choose you. And Jesus says, I chose you for this purpose. 
that you would ask whatever you want and it would be given and that you would bear fruit. Jesus is saying, I didn't just choose you for salvation, I chose you for the mission. I didn't just choose you for salvation, I chose you for participation, for cooperation. Jesus is lifting this up to this dignified place where you can ask anything of heaven and it can be given, where you will bear fruit. Listen, you need to know, if you've been hearing that you don't have a place in God's kingdom, if you've been hearing that you haven't been chosen, it's a lie. It's a lie. You have a place. He chooses us for this. And this means that in our friendships, we start to not just see each other's faults, but we start to see the possibilities in one another, right? Listen, Jesus, you know this, right? These disciples he's talking to, one of whom is out betraying him at this point in John chapter 15, he could have picked a better group of people. This is a pretty messed up group of people, but he's telling them, I chose you, you, not somebody else. I chose you, that you would pray and that you would go and bear fruit. Then he says this about rejection in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus, at the point that he's saying this to the disciples, is on the verge of some really bad things happening. He's about to get arrested. He's about to go to the cross. The disciples are going to disperse. But he knows that even beyond the events that are about to happen, he knows that further down the road, they're going to suffer too. As a matter of fact, most of the disciples he's talking to will lose their lives for Jesus by the end. And he tells them, look, the world hated me. They're going to hate you too. They rejected me. You're going to experience rejection too. And this is the truth, isn't it? That we experience rejection just through life, don't we? Before we even came to Jesus, didn't we experience rejection? I remember I had a friend in elementary school. I was with him all the time, hung out with him all the time. And we were in fourth grade, and somehow he made it in with the sixth graders, which is really cool. Made it in with the sixth graders. And we were at a high school basketball game, and he was coming over for the weekend to spend the night. And I went up to my friend. He's hanging out with all these sixth graders. And I said, hey, uh, you're coming over this weekend. Listen, he pretended like he didn't even know me. Pretended like he didn't even know me, you know. We start to experience the wounds of rejection young. And then it multiplies. And, but then this is what Jesus says. Look, he says, I hate to tell it to you guys, but the rejection is going to increase, not decrease, when you start following me. So even some of your core relationships are going to reject you because, they, because they're not with this, you know, because they don't understand. Jesus said, it happened to me. It happened to you. I love here how Jesus is dealing with rejection. This is why... He's talking to them about his unconditional love and acceptance because he intends the choosing of friends to fill in that soul, that soul wound of rejection, right? And we do have soul wounds of rejection. Church, I know that here in a gathering like this, there are many of you who experienced rejection before you came to Christ, after you come, came to Christ. You continue to experience it. You might even experience it in the church. And it creates this like gaping wound, this hole. And let me tell you something about that hole of rejection. No amount of drugs or alcohol is going to fill it. No amount of sex is going to fill that hole. That hole is too big. There, there isn't enough porn for you to look at that's going to fill that hole. You understand? And listen to this. There isn't a church good enough 
that can fill that hole. Now, I'm all about the church being a place where this kind of friendship is expressed. But listen, the best we can do is mirror what Jesus actually does for us. See, it's not to actually fill the hole. I see Christians, some of them, go from church to church to church, and it's like as they tell me their story, they don't even realize they're repeating the same thing at each place. Well, we went, we got involved, but then the relationships just weren't deep enough. People didn't accept me enough. They go from place to place to place. At some point, we have to have the courage and the presence of God's love to say that the common denominator in all of that was us. We were the common denominator. And there was a hole in us that even if people were loving us all around, throwing all they had into that hole, it wasn't going to fill it. We were going to be left empty at the end. As a matter of fact, trust me, as a pastor, sometimes I feel the temptation to try to fill it, but all I'm doing is promoting idolatry in our lives. Because the church was never meant to play this role. At best, it was meant to reflect what Jesus can do. And and trust me, what your soul wants isn't a really cool church. You hear me? What your soul wants isn't a perfect church. What your soul wants isn't, you know, church leaders that fill every one of your needs. What your soul really wants, do you know what it is? What your soul really wants is to hear from your creator, I choose you. You're my friend. I'm with you. Good days, bad days, you can give me what I want or don't give me what I want, but I am with you to the end. I've bound my future with your future. I'm seeing this through. That's what your soul wants to hear. I have good news for you today. That is what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he has to give us. If you'd stand to your feet. John, if you... I'm going to dismiss you, but I just know that in a room like this, there are wounds of rejection. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would surface some of those even now in people. You know, I've been rejected by even some primary relationships in my life. Um, And I've also had, you know, moments of rejection in a fourth grade at a basketball game. But here's what I know. Jesus was there for all of them. And he chose me, church. He chose me. You know, rejection has been a big wound in my life, but I know more than ever that God loves me and that my hole, my rejection hole is no match for his love. See, something beautiful starts to happen when we start to actually know that we're loved and accepted by all gracious God. Then we start to see that actually he has put people around us who love us. See, we start to be able to receive what people are giving us because we're not doing it with all these expectations on them to heal us. You can't, church, you can't go through life with expectations on the people around you that that it's their job to heal you. They don't have what it takes. We have a healer, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he wants to heal you. So listen, if you have a memory, a wound of rejection, if rejection is just something that, the enemy is speaking to you, then we want to pray over that. And so I'm going to dismiss you, but if you need prayer, then I want you to come forward. We'd be happy uh, to pray for you. Steve, I'd love it if you could 
mobilize folks for that. All right, if anyone comes forward. Lord, we just welcome the acceptance of God. We didn't earn it. And Lord, we just thank you that you love these fast food people, that you love these online shopping people who are committed to something so long as we get something out of it. Lord, you know exactly who we are. Lord, we just want to tell you we're done trying to make friends with you. We're done trying to make friends, trying to earn our way into friendship with you because you chose us. The issue of friendship with you is already settled. We're friends with you because you chose us, period. That's how it goes. And so we just welcome that love into the place of our woundedness in Jesus' name.